Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Great Lakes Kids Apparel. That's right. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes for your little one to enjoy. Plus, Great Lakes Kids Apparel is a mom-owned business, so you know your kids will love these clothes. And Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers fast, free shipping on orders over $50, not to mention amazing customer service. So head over to GreatLakesKidsApparel.com or click the link in the show description and use promo code LOCKS to get 20% off your first order today. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us again this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get into it, as always, Olivia, always a pleasure to see you. How are you? How has your week been? I'm doing great. How are you? My week's been all right. I'm good. I have had an enjoyable week hanging out with the family. We started family YMCA days, which is nice. So, Millie's not playing soccer anymore, so instead of going to soccer practice on Tuesday, we all go to the YMCA and do a little family thing, so it's kind of cool. 
Oh, that's cool. Is there like other families there doing the activity? So usually my wife and I were just, you know, trying to take care of ourselves a little bit better, but they have a, like a playroom that you can drop the kids off. So Millie gets to go play with the other kids and we get on the treadmill and Kara works out really hard. And I watch TV shows and walk on the treadmill. (laughs) So, Hey, something's better than nothing. Soon you're going to be like me running, running, running. Yeah. I don't know. See, it's funny because at one point in my life, before Millie was born, I was doing like 23 miles a week on the treadmill. Dang, just that's good. running. And then COVID hit and I just stopped. And what I've learned about myself is that I am either like all in, like I'm changing my diet super drastically and then just running nonstop, or I am like a complete garbage person. <laughs> so there's no, I'm working on trying to find a happy medium, you know? Yeah, I'm kind of like that too, but I think I'm at a happy medium right now. Well, yeah, you told me yesterday you ran like seven miles. And I'm like, mm, is that a happy medium or is that? <laughs> yeah, but I had a fudge sickle for uh, for dessert tonight. So that's my happy medium. Well, and that's what I told myself. Like we went to the YMCA on Tuesday and then on Monday I walked her around, did trick-or-treating. So I was like, well, I walked, did all this walking for trick-or-treating. I can have like six pieces of candy. I'm totally fine. Just, you know, I've already burned it off. So, yep, I work out so I can eat balance. Yeah, I am right there with you. But enough about our workouts or lack thereof. We've got a great episode this week. What do you say we just jump into it? How do you feel about that? Yeah, let's go. I've heard about this case, I think, but I don't know that I know all of the details. So, I'm excited to go through it. When I started researching, it sounded familiar to me as well. And then as I got through, I was like, oh, I don't know anything about this. So, It'll be uh, very interesting, and I'm, I'm interested to see if the listeners know about this or if this is one that's popped up on their radar as well. So, well, Let's get started. You got it. So this week's case takes place on the railroad tracks that run across the Pacific Northwest. The body of William Pettit Jr., a drifter, was discovered in a boxcar in a small town outside of Salem, Oregon. Pettit had been the victim of several severe blows to the head and neck area. These blows were deemed to be the cause of death. Now, it was very interesting for me to find out in this research, but on average, more than 500 bodies a year are found along the nation's railroad tracks. That's scary to me. Yeah, that's a crazy number to just be like, on average, we find 500 bodies a year just hanging out by the tracks. So I will say this is like nothing to do with the case, but it sounds like we're going to talk about something along the train tracks, obviously. But in my neighborhood, I run maybe two blocks from my house. And at the end of the street is just these railroad tracks. And so you can't like cross over to the next section, like in my neighborhood, you have to like go out and around. But every time I run along the long road, it's always the end of my run. The sun's usually setting. I always just kind of feel like I'm going to either find somebody laying on the, by the tracks or like someone's going to jump out of one of the cars and like kidnap me and take me off when the train goes. I don't know. It's a weird fear, but I think about it every time I run by there. So interesting fact, you've never told me that you have railroad tracks by your house, but I know that you have railroad tracks by your house because I edit the episodes. So I can always hear <laughs> the background. Like, burr, burr. That's hilarious. Yeah. They're not they're like a few blocks away. Yeah, It's a real standby me situation. If you've ever seen that movie where it's just like, well, if I walk along the railroad tracks long enough, eventually I'm going to find a dead body. It's just how. How right. This is this is technically our second case because um, Christopher Newsom was on the railroad tracks. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, they took him out to the railroad tracks. That's right. 
Okay, that's enough distraction. Let's get back to the story. Now, police were concerned that it would be an unsolved case as Pettit was a transient and the success rate of solving these cases is usually low. Two days later, another victim turned up. In Portland, Oregon, the body of Michael Kleitz was discovered. Again, the man was a transient who traveled by train, and Kleitz was also beaten to death and found in a boxcar. Because the two victims were transient men who had been beaten and again both found in boxcars, authorities believed that they may have a serial killer on their hands. Police knew that because he traveled by train, finding the killer would be very challenging. It would require working with multiple agencies across many states. Now, that was very interesting to me as well when I thought about the investigation, because a lot of our cases are they're done in one state and one area, or maybe it's multiple counties, but it's still within one state. And in this case, the police are like, we think this is a serial killer on a train. So trying to think about how you would coordinate with different states, different police departments and things like that, it seems like it would be quite the challenge. Did you say what year this took place? Yeah, that's a great question. I just realized that I did not mention it off the top, but this actually took place in 1995. So both of us were alive. I was 10 years old at this time. So You're not five years older than me. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I'm old. Yeah, you are. But yeah, I guess in 1995, that would have been a time where everybody was starting to figure out that, oh, we can communicate with one another. So not, I guess, technically an uncommon thing at that time. Yeah, and it is important to know that many transient people actually travel by train and they will take up residence in boxcars. They often keep everything that they own in their backpacks, including bedrolls, plates, and a change of warm clothes. So needless to say, it's most likely not the safest of lifestyles because you know these are people with not a lot of connections. You don't know who you're going to be in this boxcar with, things of that nature. So you know, I've heard stories in doing my research where, you know, somebody would ask, Hey, can I ride in this car with you? And the person would say, no. And if you tried to get it anyway, they would hit you in the face with a two by four. They're like, no, nope. oh <laughs> yeah, it's a very rough lifestyle. I mean, the trains I have to wait on and I grew up by a train track too. So the amount of box cars I've had to wait for, you could have your own box car. Well, and that's what I was thinking about too. Like you, I grew up with a railroad track right behind my neighborhood. So when it would come through, it would sound like it was going through your house. You know, it was very, very close. Thinking back on it, just like how many times I watched it, you know, go through. I'm like, man, how many boxcar squatters were like hanging out in those trains? It's kind of a crazy thought. Right. And now I'm, that's what I worry about now. As I run back there, I'm like, the train's always parked there. It's not necessarily going. It's like it spends the night, you know, down the street. So I'm like, there could be some squatters living down the street. And I don't even know about it. That's how murders happen. Oh, you have a rail yard near you then? Like if kind it's just of, hanging out. yeah. Yeah, and so like the whole thing separates different sections of the city. And so right behind me, like you have to go like over a bridge or like all the way around because it's two tracks and it's a whole thing. But yes, it spends the night there. Well, it's interesting because for the authorities who were investigating, they were going to have to step into this dangerous territory. And detectives actually sent out a nationwide alert describing the two murders. They also sent the information to every rail yard in the country. And I thought that this was very interesting as well. I did not know that every rail yard has its own police department. I didn't either. So when you say like rail yard, it's like what would be by my house, like the whole little gathering where there's multiple tracks, there's like their own police there. Or do they survey like a whole certain mileage of tracks? Yeah. So a rail yard is essentially like when trains are coming through, if they need to stop or, you know, like change tracks, things like that, it's 
I think too, it's where some can unload different things or connect different cars, stuff like that. So it's like a hub for these trains that are traveling this route. So for example, in this case, they're traveling the Pacific Northwest. So we're looking at California, Oregon, Washington, you know, things like that. So along those routes, there are these hubs where like the trains can stop. And that's where a lot of these people will hang out and then like jump into boxcars, things of that nature. It's almost like a, like a rest area for trains. That's interesting that they have their own police. Yeah. I had no idea. I was like, Oh, that's very, very cool to think about. Yeah. Now it was at this point that the detectives received a tip. A call came in from a friend of Michael Kleitz. The friend told police that Kleitz was killed by a fellow rider whose nickname was Sidetrack. They also provided a description of the attacker and shared that Kleitz was walking away with Sidetrack just hours before being murdered. But with just a nickname and the description of a, quote, white male, investigators didn't have much to go on. It was at this time that another tip came in from the Salt Lake City Police. Now, they shared details with detectives about another potential murder on that same railway and a name, Robert Silvera. Now, Robert Silvera grew up in Silicon Valley in the early 70s, well before the tech boom. He lived in a home in Sunnydale on an average cul-de-sac and had an unremarkable childhood. Silvera spent time hanging around tattoo shops at a very young age, but being so young, he would be run off from those shops. But he was persistent and the owners of the shop would eventually let him stay. Even as a young man, he had a knack for tattoo art, and his uncle would let him practice on his skin. On the surface, Silvera was quiet, respectful, and polite, but he was no stranger to run-ins with the authorities. As a teenager, Silvera stole a motorcycle and was sent to a juvenile detention center. During this time, Silvera actually claimed that during the stay, he was molested, and apparently it really stuck with him. At 18, he was arrested for the same offense, again, stealing a motorcycle. This time, he was sentenced to a year in prison. Now, Silvera committed burglaries, car thefts, and more. He eventually got married and began working at a small airport. While working there, he began embezzling money from the company and eventually got into using heroin. Now, around this time, Silvera began having dreams about killing his wife and his child. He was afraid that he would act on the urge and decided it was best to leave them which I don't know if this is starting to use heroin or if there was some kind of mental illness or a combination of both. But I can imagine that if you're having that vivid of dreams where you have to literally pack up and leave your family because you're afraid of what you're going to do, I can imagine that's a pretty intense thought. Some dark stuff's going on in your head. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure there's some sort of psychosis that develops when you're using drugs regularly and something so strong as heroin. Yeah, it's a crazy drug, that's for sure. I mean, I've never experienced it or messed around with it, but I've known people throughout my life that that's been a challenge for them. And It's a struggle. It's one of those drugs where you never meet anybody that has gone through it and been like, oh, you're doing okay for yourself. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, like it, you lose everything. It's like a rock bottom. Not a good, Not a good place to be. At this point, Silvera traveled south to Stockton, California, and he told his friends and family that he was going to be staying with a relative, but he actually began to camp under an overpass. Now, he would sleep under the underpass at night, camp out there. During the day, he would go into town, buy heroin, run any errands that he needed to run, anything like that, and then come back. Now, the underpass was very close to some train tracks, and eventually he got the idea that he would decide to start hopping trains. 
For nearly a decade, Silvera would ride the rails as a member of the FTRA, or Freight Train Riders of America. This group was essentially a gang on a train that would rob and murder others traveling by boxcar. With this uh, Freight Train Riders of America, do you pay your monthly dues or what? (laughs) It's such a professional-sounding name for such terrible people. I was thinking the same thing as well, where I was like, oh, Freight Train Riders of America. It sounds yeah, I was like, like, what is that? That sounds real official and cool. <laughs> yeah, like Biden's really into trains. It sounds like something that he would be into. You know what I mean? Then you're like, well, they just rob and murder other people traveling by train. Yeah. And what's also really interesting is that they would travel together. And I'm sure that in some way it's to make sure that like they're keeping each other safe, you know, because in numbers, people aren't going to mess with you. You're not going to catch a two by four to the face. You know what I mean? But they would also have camps that were set up along those stops. So if a rail yard was in Oregon, they would set up a camp right outside that rail yard. And there would be signs being like, if you enter in here, like you will get stomped. Like this is not the place for you to be. This is FTRA. They had jackets like they would hand draw logos on the back of their jackets and stuff like that. It was it's intense. Now, within the FTRA, Silvera was what they call an enforcer. So. If someone disrespected him or another member of the gang, it would be his job to physically assault them or worse. So he was like one of the tough guys. And apparently there's different bandana levels. So, you know, you may be a black bandana or the higher ups may be purple because it is. It seems like it's run very much like a prison gang where there's hierarchies and levels like you get jumped in. He had discussed the initiation process. You know, they would be like, you want to join the gang? Here's a fifth of vodka, a fifth of Jack Daniels. Like, drink it, and you're in. And you have to drink the whole thing. So they're rough dudes, you know? Oh, my gosh. Who knew? There was so much, like, hierarchy in a gang. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, even in street gangs, there's lieutenants and generals and very organized, yeah. I must be real naive or just not real educated on my gang lingo. Well, it's very similar to, like, you know, if you think about a gang in... Chicago or Detroit or something like that, you've got your soldiers on the front line. Those are the ones who, you know, maybe they're selling narcotics, right? And then you've got the people above them who are running that, and then they're getting their orders from somebody higher than them. It's all a chain of command, you know? Okay, yeah. And the other thing I thought was really interesting, at one point while at one of these FTRA camps, Silvera was actually jumped by three people, and they beat him up, fractured his skull, and he was convinced that they were going to kill him until they found that he had $300 on him and they took the cash and they just left, you know, because especially if you're living that kind of lifestyle, $300 is like hitting a lot of of money. Yeah, for sure. But what's interesting is that the uncle who would allow Silvera to practice on him when he was doing his tattooing still keeps in contact with him to this day. Silvera shared with him that from that moment on, he looked for those people on the rails. And if it was even somebody who looked like someone who attacked him, or somebody who could possibly be, they would receive like a terrible fate. That's just the kind of guy Silvera was. This is a rough life. This is rough. Very much so. So at this time, detectives now had two names, whoever Sidetrack was and Robert Silvera. Both at this point were wanted for questioning. Detectives began to communicate with the train yard in Roseville, California. Now you may be wondering, William Pettit was found outside of Salem, Oregon. Why would we be trying to contact Roseville, California? Roseville actually has one of the largest rail yards in the country. So anybody who is traveling that Pacific Northwest stretch of of railway would be coming in and out of that particular train station or that that rail yard. 
Now, because of this, authorities called week after week, reminding the yard officials there to be on the lookout. Then a phone call came. The Southern Pacific Police in Roseville, California, called to inform detectives that Robert Silvera was in their custody. The detectives in Oregon immediately rushed to Roseville to question Silvera. Knowing that he was, in fact, a train rider, the very first question detectives asked was, what's your train name? Because apparently it's very common for these boxcar riders to have nicknames or things of that nature. Silvera responded back, sidetrack. At this point, detectives knew that they had their man. And it's only one. It's one guy. Yeah. And I can't imagine being that detective and being like, oh, yes, this is the money moment. Like, I don't have to hunt down two people. You're one and the same, you know? Yeah, like, how do you put your poker face on? Like, I'd be like, oh, my God, yes. Right. <laughs> so excited. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> As the questioning continued, Silvera continued to talk. And to the detective's surprise, Silvera shared the details of both Clyte's and Pettis' murder. For seven days, Silvera told police his story and details about the horrific crimes that he had committed. Silvera would eye other riders who had something that he wanted. So it could be new boots, a wallet, a nicer sleeping bag, any number of things, anything that I'm in this boxcar that would make my life easier. That would make my life better. I'm going to get it. Silvera would then buddy up with his victim. In some cases, he would be like, hey, you want to get a beer? Would you like to have some coffee? Get all chummy with him. And then when the time was right, Silvera would strike. Now, in one case, Silvera discussed wanting a gentleman's wallet, but it was on a chain that was attached to a loop on his pants. So after Silvera incapacitated the man, he simply cut the loop off his pants and was like, this is my wallet now. Silvera would actually steal his victim's IDs and apply for food stamps as he traveled the railway. So if he knew that he was going to stop somewhere, he would go to a food stamp office with a fake ID, collect some food stamps, and then he would get on the train and go. You know, So it's very much... Anything that I can do to survive. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is a crazy lifestyle. Yeah, and it's interesting to think, like, this is one guy who is doing terrible things. But apparently there's a whole subculture of people with successful jobs, nice houses, considerably affluent compared to, you know, these normal boxcar riders. They will actually, on the weekends, kind of be like weekend train warriors. And they'll get in these boxcars with God knows who's in there and, you know, film their quote, like adventures and things like that without realizing, I think, exactly how dangerous it is. Yeah, I'm not hopping on my trains anytime soon. I think I'm good this weekend. I'll pass. And, you know, I'm sure that a good number of these people do suffer from some type of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're in the kind of lifestyle that you're in. And we don't do a great job taking care of those people. You know what I mean? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I'm still not getting on that train, you know? No. Mm -mm. It was at this point that Silvera shared with detectives that he had a graveyard out there. According to Silvera, he had killed 28 people. However, he's only ever officially been charged with four. Silvera pleaded guilty to the murders of William Pettit and Michael Kleitz. Later, Silvera was convicted of the murder of Charles Randall Boyd in Kansas, who he met while Boyd was building a bunkhouse for a local ministry. Silvera was also convicted of murdering 52-year-old Willie Clark in Tallahassee, Florida. Additionally, Silvera is suspected to be involved in the murders of Anthony Garcia in California, Darren Miller in Utah, Michael Garfinkel in California, Roger Bowman in Utah, James McLean in California, Paul Wayne Matthews in Montana, 
and Michael A. Brandolino. And unfortunately, my research, I couldn't find what state that he was listed in. But I would imagine if he stuck to that Pacific Northwest area, probably somewhere in one of those states. Do you know how he got caught for the murders in Florida and in Kansas? Because those are two, I could see maybe Kansas, but like Tallahassee, Florida is far from the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and that's actually a great question. So the way that they were able to catch him was they mapped where the victims were and then where he fraudulently applied for food stamps. So we know that he was in this area at this time. All of these men were either bludgeoned or beaten to death, which fits his MO to a T. Right. So using that, they were able to say, hey, we've got you. We know it's you. That makes sense. Now, Robert Silvera is currently serving consecutive life sentences at the Wyoming Medium Correctional Institute in Torrington, Wyoming. So that's this week's episode. I know it's kind of short. But I found it really interesting when I was researching it and kind of learning more about this underground community and these camps and things like that. So, like I said, I thought it was really interesting. I thought it would be fun to bring to you and see what the listeners thought and get input there. So, you know, just going through it before we hit the deadbolt test, kind of talk to me about your initial reaction. What are you thinking? Where are you at? This one was a good one. It was also something that I learned a lot of like random facts from rail yards and the rail yard police. And one, I didn't know you could just like randomly apply for food stamps that easily. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff behind it, but like to hang around long enough. And then to hear about all these gangs, I learned a lot. I think I got some street cred on this one. Yeah. Well, and you know, I also think that in the 90s, the process was probably a lot different. You know, now everything is computerized and most likely done over the internet. And there's extra things to verify where Back then, it was like, yeah, bring in your social security card or your driver's license. And I'm sure that they weren't like, does this picture match up perfectly? If you've ever been to the DMV or, you know, anything like that, they're like, all right, get in, get out, get in, get out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I forgot about it being in 1995. I'm sure it was way easier. Just to give you an idea of the time span, William Pettit was found in 1995. Michael Kleitz was found in 1995 as well. He pled guilty to both of those murders to avoid the electric chair in 1998. And they believe his first killings go back as far as like 1989, I believe. Oh, okay. So he's been around for a while. And since they think that he killed around 28 people, I guess that's a time frame of almost 10 years, you know? Yeah. And I mean, again, especially back then and then knowing in the research that, you know, you find 500 bodies on average near railroad tracks, it's like kind of like what we were talking about in the hunting humans episode, you know, where it's like, oh yeah, hunting accidents happen. You know what I mean? So because in the way that it's taking place, it's hard to say, oh, like these are connected. This must be a serial killer. And I think they just really lucked out with two of them being so close together in the same area. And then the MO for both of those being so similar and a detective that was just like, I think there's something more going on here. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, this was a great case. It was really interesting. You know, not a long one, but it was great. You know, I am usually one where I'm like, I've got 15 pages of notes. And as I was going through this, I was like, man, there's not like a ton of detail that's easily accessible out there. But I was like, this story is just really interesting. And if people don't know about it, I think they would be like, oh, this is crazy. So, oh, yeah. As far as the deadbolt test, I think I have an idea of where you're going to fall. It may change knowing that you have railroad tracks so close to you, but. Where does this case 
fall on your deadbolt test, Olivia. Okay. Since I have the railroad tracks, and this is constantly a thought in my head, about three days a week, I'm giving it a seven. I'm already thinking about people hopping off the boxcars to come and get me, and no one would know because it's this long road back there. But now I'm like even more worried about it. Like I'm not going to be able to run right there and be okay. (laughs) See, I'm surprised by that because I thought for sure you were going to be like, you know, I'm not the kind of person that would live in a boxcar. Because that's like where my head was. And then I think knowing that, you know, you run so close to train tracks. And I think that's how uh, the Night Stalker traveled a lot, too, was Richard Ramirez. I think he traveled railroad tracks as well. So great. That's another thing to keep an eye out for. (laughs) Right. I think this time if I get stopped by someone hopping off a boxcar, I'm like, what's your MO in the Freight Train Riders of America? What's your title? Right. What color bandana do you have? I know you. I know who you are. I'm not afraid of you. Yeah, and I don't even know if they're still like an active thing, you know, but it's like it's just scary to think that you see a train passing by and there's like this whole ecosystem that could potentially be inside with like organizations and hierarchies and terrible crimes taking place. And you're just like, oh, I wonder if that's lumber. I wonder if like <laughs> those washer machines in there, where's that going? You know? Yeah, like what is it? I mean, we I live in a town with one of the largest ports in the country. There's lots of boxcars and shipping containers being moved around via train, ship, truck, all the things. So definitely, I'm always wondering what's in those things, and I'm always waiting for someone to pop out. Even when I was a kid and would wait, be waiting on a train, I remember like when the boxcars were open, it was like the doors, you'd get a train and like all the doors would be open. And I was just like, is there anybody in there? Like looking. It's kind of like looking behind the shower curtain kind of thing for me. Irrational fear. <laughs> no, I mean, not at all. I think it's very rational, but I think... You know, part of it, too, is that, like, the idea of the person riding the train, there is, like, Americana roots in that. You know what I mean? And I didn't want to use this word because they said it a lot in my research, but, like, the idea of, like, the, quote, hobo, you know what I mean? Like, that's the word that they use, which, you know, I know is not the politically at correct all term. The, the modern term to use. So I want to make sure that I'm making that very clear. I'm not trying to, like be offensive or anything like that. But like in that time, those people, if they were struggling for work, they would hop on a train and hope to make it to another city where they might be able to find a job, you know, and you have this vision of like the guy with the stick with the knapsack on it. That's like all my belongings are here. You know what I mean? So yeah, like Dennis the menace or something in that era, there was almost like a romance to it. And now it's just become like such a seedy kind of dark thing that it's, you know, you don't, that's not where your brain goes. You know, so no, that's not how I'm hitchhiking to the next town. Right. So for me, we don't have railroad tracks anywhere near us. I think the closest ones are like five miles, five or six miles, something like that. But I would put this at like a six just because of the fact that just because you're riding on one this weekend. That's what your plans are. I feel like that's what you told me you were doing Saturday. Yeah. I'm just I'm going to be a weekend warrior. (laughs) I'm on a train. (laughs) See what happens. No, I think the idea that kind of gets to me is there's got to be a rail yard somewhere. You know what I mean? Or like someplace that these stop. And it's just that random thing again of like, who's that random guy that's just getting off the train. and could potentially be walking into your town. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah. Don't even say that. Stop. Okay. I can't do this one anymore. Like I said, I'm not the guy that's going to be like, I'm on the train this weekend. Got my phone. You know what I mean? Like we're going through a tunnel. (laughs) He's just hanging out behind my house. That's all. Right. Okay, I'm going to bet you, can you make it from Nashville to New Orleans and survive the railroad? 
I don't want to take that bet. <laughs> now, if you would have asked me when I was like 23, I would have been like, yeah, I'll do it. See for you in sure. three days. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it was Boscar for 72 hours. But yeah, now like, you know, having a family and stuff like that, you know, I think people forget, like I lived in a van with like four dudes for a long time, just traveling and playing shows. So like I'm used to uncomfortable conditions, you know? Yeah, you could do it. But I'm not used to getting stabbed in a boxcar. Well, this was a good one, John. Well, I'm glad that you liked it. And that is where we fall on the deadbolt test. Olivia is giving Robert Silvera a seven. I'm going to put this case at a six. But of course, we want to hear from you. Where does this case, the boxcar killer, fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on the socials. You can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod, Twitter at Check the Locks. And please, if you are not in our Facebook group, stop the show right now. Go in the show notes. Click the link. If you are on Facebook, join that group. We actually had to make it private recently because we saw a little bit of an uptick in spam. So if you go in and you join, you answer the questions, we will approve it. Just want to make sure that everybody in the group is having you know a safe time, a fun experience. We didn't want to have to make it private, but we want to make sure that people feel safe there. Please join our Facebook group. We're in there hanging out every single day, interacting. People were sharing their Halloween costumes this year. It was awesome. It was so cool to see. But you didn't share yours. I sent it to you. <laughs> I know, but you need to share it to the Facebook group. All right, I'll put it up there. I was a wizard, and I had a sweet <laughs> wig on. My hair was very long. I'll... At least put Millie on there. She was cute with her little witch face. Well, I will definitely post something. Ellie, your beautiful dog, looked like she was having a wonderful Halloween. Looks like she could not wait to get out of her costume. She was really mad at me because she had to get a bath that morning. And then after she's dry, I'm like, hey, let's put on our costume all before like 8 a.m., So she was not real thrilled. And then I don't know if I sent you the picture of us done trick-or-treating for the night when she was just sitting at the door, just looked like a a dragon. She was not a fan. Yeah, she looked like from the moment she put it on, she was ready to be done. Oh, yeah, always. But she she tolerates me just like with her birthday pictures. Well, we say all of this to say join the Facebook group because it's a whole lot of fun. We love everybody in the group. Olivia... I don't know about you, but I could definitely use a five-star review. What do you think? Yes, let's do a five-star review. Let's do it. This week's five-star review comes from Blatant Comgarth. They said, I found this after watching Olivia on Maths. She was one of my favorites on the show. I currently study criminology, and I've listened to a few other podcasts. On these podcasts, I often hear repeat cases. That hasn't happened yet for me with Check the Locks. Great job. So thank you, Blayton, for reaching out and leaving us a five-star review. Send us a message and just let us know who you are so we can send you some stuff. Yeah, Blayton, thank you so much for taking the time. Hope school is going very well for you. I know that can always be a challenge, and I'm glad that we're able to hang out with you and hopefully help you get through some of those tough school days. Really appreciate you taking the time to leave that five-star review. Just like Olivia said, we'd love to send you some stuff. Reach out to us on Instagram. Again, check the locks pod. You can find us on Twitter. Check the locks. Hit us up in the Facebook group if you're hanging out in there. If you're not a social person, not a problem at all. Head over to checkthelockspod.com. Hit that email button and let us know. And again, I know that I say this every week, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, bring it back to life, and then beat it again. But if you have left us a five-star review, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. As we said before, it helps us get into other shows' recommendations, helps people 
find Check the Locks. It helps us grow our community and things like that. So if you have left that five-star review, we greatly appreciate it. Olivia, if somebody wants to have their review read on the show, what's the best way to do that? Well, they need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app, click on our main show page, scroll all the way to the bottom where you see the five stars, click all five stars, and tell us what you think about the podcast. Yeah, make sure you are hitting up Apple Podcasts and leaving that review. Also, there's a link in the show notes as well if you would like to just click there and make it easier on yourself. Hey, Olivia, guess what? You have a voicemail? Oh, yeah. Hi, John. Hi, Olivia. It's Aaron Bird. John, thanks for the shout out. I am recovering. My wing is definitely getting better. Listening to you all help me in my recovery. This episode 24 is really freaky because you just never know a shooter could be anywhere. And uh, just like the DC sniper thing, that was terrible. I actually worked in an office building next to where he would park in the car at night. And we literally were running from the car to the building and back and forth. So I give this an eight or a nine on my check the locks because you just never know. I love you and Olivia together. Uh, The combination is great. I'm loving this podcast. I'm recommending this podcast. Keep bringing me my podcast. And John, the offer for seafood, if you come to Virginia, is still open. Olivia, you come too. Aaron. (laughs) I'm so excited. I I had no idea. You didn't even give me a chance to respond. You just threw it right at me. Aaron, that was so awesome. That's right. It's called a sneak attack. Erin is one of our Facebook group members. She is absolutely amazing. She's so much fun to interact with. We've had a whole debate over pasta and popcorn. We've settled on the fact that we both really enjoy seafood. So someday I'm going to sit down with Erin. She is also the Facebook group member that we talked about who had an injured wing. She was working, getting back. So just so happy to hear that you're doing well. Happy to hear that we've been able to be a part of that recovery and that you're liking the show so much. It just... I didn't tell you about this voicemail beforehand because I heard it when it came in and it just made me so happy. I wanted you to have that same like genuine reaction. Oh my gosh. I was like dancing over here. Nobody can see me, but I'm like, yeah, party over here. (laughs) Sometimes you forget that this is an audio media, (laughs) but Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to leave us that voicemail. And if you want to leave us a voicemail again, you can do the same thing. Head over to checkthelockspod.com. There's a microphone in the little right-hand corner. Again, you can go to the show notes. We'll make it easy. There's a link to leave us a voicemail right in the show notes as well. And just want to make sure we took a moment to let you guys know our Patreon is officially live. So if you are enjoying the show, you're enjoying what we do, please, if you can find it in your heart or your wallet and you want to financially support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash checkthelocks. We have a bunch of different levels, a bunch of different prizes. If you can't financially support the show, that's not a problem at all. Just tell your friends, your family, let them know to listen to Check the Locks. That helps just as much. In a lot of ways, it's even more valuable. So that is all that we've got for you for this week's episode of Check the Locks. Please make sure that you check us out on Wednesday for our true crime for the short on time, our little mini episodes. We will be back next Monday with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 